0: For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Hello, I'm really glad you joined us
1: online. On Friday, when Jesus was crucified, it appeared that he was defeated on the cross, and Satan had won. His disciples were in mourning, but on the third day, he rose from the grave, and that is an amazing thing. All Christ followers put their hope in the resurrection. Christianity stands or falls on this event in history. Several people have set out to disprove the resurrection and they couldn't disprove it. And they ended up giving their lives to follow Christ as a result. Simon Greenleaf was a Jewish professor of law at Harvard, and he was considered the greatest authority on courtroom evidence in his day. He was challenged to apply the rules of evidence to the resurrection. He did, and he ended up giving his life to follow Christ as well. Many others have weighed the evidence and ended up giving their lives to follow Christ and writing books on the evidence for the resurrection. Edmund Bennett was the dean of law at Boston University, and he he did the same thing as Greenleaf, and he committed his life to follow Christ and wrote a book about the evidence. Frank Morrison wrote a book titled, Who Moved the Stone? The title of the first chapter is The Book That Refused to be Written. Because he started investigating to the resurrection to disprove it and... He couldn't disprove it, so that was the book that refused to be written. He decided to follow Christ. J. Warner Wallace was an atheistic homicide detective. His wife started getting interested in Christianity and ended up committing her life to Christ. And that's when he started investigating Christianity. He applied the rules of cold case homicide investigations to the resurrection, and he determined that the disciples' testimony was real and true, and he gave his life to follow Christ, and now he speaks in about the evidence that he's found for the resurrection. Josh McDowell was a law student who put in at least 700 hours of study to refute the resurrection, and he couldn't do it. He wrote a book titled Evidence That Demands a Verdict that compiles his research that convinced him that the resurrection was true and real. It's 880 pages long. He now speaks... For the evidence of the resurrection around the world. We have a copy of More Than a Carpenter by, uh, Josh McDowell. If you'd like to read it, it's not 880 pages long. It's only 192 pages long, but it's a helpful summary of McDowell's research. I love presenting the facts. Of the resurrection, so I. But I'm going to leave that to you to investigate. If you'd like to uh, have more than a carpenter, just let us know on the connection card, uh, the the digital one, and we'll, we will get that to you. But today I plan to talk about how the fact of the resurrection. The forgiveness that Christ gave us on the cross sets us free from sin and folly. So, let's get started. The power of Jesus' resurrection sets us free from self-defeating strategies. It proves that Jesus can set us free from sin and self-defeating strategies. John eight thirty six says, So, if the Son, who is Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. The power required to pull off the resurrection proves that Jesus can set you free from sin and foolishness. It also proves that he can set you free from counterproductive, foolish strategies. The Bible's word for counterproductive foolish strategies is folly. Proverbs 15.21 says, Folly delights a man who lacks judgment, but a man of understanding keeps a straight course. Folly derails progress and makes you take the long way around. Proverbs 3 says, that if you acknowledge the Lord, if you take Him seriously, He will make straight your paths. Jesus wants to clue us in and help us deal with the folly that's causing us trouble, and He shows where folly comes from in Mark seven twenty one and twenty two. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Folly comes out of our hearts. That's where it is. People do what makes sense to them. And sometimes a foolish thing makes sense to you and I. I've certainly done foolishness at times. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You must keep your heart with vigilance because it guides everything you say and do and the attitudes with which you approach life so you have to keep it with vigilance the bible shows us three roots of folly i'm i'm grateful for this because it shows me how to pull up the folly from the roots and get rid of it i i haven't pulled that off entirely yet, but I'm learning to be, as I follow Christ, I'm learning to be less and less choose foolishness and folly. Here's what the Bible says are the roots of folly. The first root is the folly embedded in our heart is selfishness. The Hebrew word is eveleth. This this folly can be summed up in the phrase, I want what I want. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly, eveleth, is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. If you spend just a little time raising kids, You can verify this truth. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Supernanny Joe Frost was on a TV show called Supernanny, and she tried to help parents bring order out of chaos and learn to discipline their kids. This picture shows things flying around like drinks, cell phones, and other stuff stuff because Joe Frost was trying to help bring order out of chaos some kids don't like to eat vegetables i don't understand they don't like to eat at all i i don't understand that because i like to eat some kids don't like to eat vegetables for sure and m- many times they just refuse to eat them, but that's folly because it's foolish not to eat vegetables. They're good for you. I I like some. I like salads, broccoli, green beans, but I, you know, there are others that I don't like. Brussels sprouts, for one. This folly is embedded in our hearts, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from us. A parent's role is to train this folly out of kids through discipline. Aveleth folly. The second folly embedded in our hearts is arrogance. The Hebrew word is halelah, like... Hallelujah, but not the praise of God, it's hallela the praise of self. Ecclesiastes 9.3 says, This is the evil that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Halelah, as I've said, is the Hebrew word for madness in this verse. It is defined as self-exaltation. It's, it's translated madness because God doesn't play favorites, and he opposes the proud. It's, it's like lining up on a football field and you're you're on the line and you look across at you and god is opposing you and he's the guy that's coming against you it's infuriating and madness because god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble humble This folly shows up in our thinking as, I deserve what I want. I not only want what I want, but I deserve it big time. I went to the batting cages one time when I was in graduate school with my friend Thad King, and a doctor who I cleaned his office was there as well, and I, Thad started telling him I went to Baylor to play baseball and all the things I had accomplished in baseball. And I proceeded to whiff 25 times. I may have hit one dribbler out of 25, but I, I don't think so. My pride blew things out of proportion, and I couldn't see what I would normally have been able to see if I wasn't prideful, if I wasn't arrogant. That's what pride does. It blows your self-importance up so much that you make a bigger deal out of who you are than you should. Arrogance makes it difficult for the people who work with you, not to mention what it does to a group. It polarizes groups. It's natural to think that we're the most deserving person in the room because this folly is embedded in our heart. The third folly is damage. The Hebrew word is raw. Ecclesiastes nine three again. This is the evil, raw, in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, raw, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. This folly shows up in our thinking like this. I will hurt you to get what I want. I may not want to, but I will. Evil in this verse, like I said, is the Hebrew word raw. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil. And this word means harm or damage. I have a temper, I confess. An example of my temper was my first at-bat in baseball ever. And I guess this is a baseball themed message. Um, uh, but it's, it's really a scripture based message, of course. Uh, but I hit a home run and there were no fences, so I had to run around the bases and I slid across home plate, but I reached back to, uh, the plate and the catcher tagged me. And the umpire called me out. I started screaming and yelling and throwing bats and helmets, basically destroying things. I was doing damage, for sure. The commissioner came by to try to calm me down. And I can still remember the scene. I I have a temper, for sure. I blow up. At times, and and thankfully, God, walking with God, has helped me deal with my temper and keep it at bay. I have much more control than I did when I was eight, for sure. But walking with God and keeping in step with the Spirit really helps me. Damage lies just below the surface for all of us. We may not get that out of control like I did on the baseball field, but many of us give a cold shoulder. We talk over others angrily. We cut them off in our speech, and we ignore them out of spite. These follies affect our approach to life. I want what I want, I deserve what I want, and I don't want to, but I will hurt you to get what I want. Jesus died on the cross to set us free from sin and folly. The cross outsmarts wisdom and overpowers human strength. The wisdom of God is Foolish in the world's eyes. 1 Corinthians one twenty two twenty five says this. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jews demanded signs from Jesus. The Gospel of John actually was written to show the signs of how Jesus fulfilled prophecy and in order to lead the Jewish folks to Christ, to faith in Christ, they wanted miracles for proof, which Jesus did plenty of miracles, but they wanted more before they would be convinced that he was the long-awaited Messiah who he was, and they, they were hard-hearted, basically. The Greeks seek wisdom. They were famous for their philosophers who taught on wisdom. Socrates, Aristotle, the Stoics, Epicurus, uh, Skepticism, and Plato. Their society was rich about how life works apart from God. Wisdom was pursued to gain success and superiority. It was undertaken in arrogance, which is embedded in all of our hearts, like I just talked about. The goal for searching wisdom is less genuine enlightenment than it was for influence, honor, and power. The apostles preach Christ crucified, which was like Preaching that the victor had been defeated, the Jews were looking for a victorious Christ who would restore the kingdom uh, the glory of the kingdom of David and Solomon. he was not a conqueror to please the Jews or a philosopher to please the Greeks. he was a humble savior who was not arrogant. Philippians says that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the power of God. The resurrection proves that Jesus has the power to save. In contrast to the Greeks, Jesus is the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of the Greeks pales in comparison to the wisdom of Jesus Christ. To the Greeks, the cross was foolishness. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. Accepting Jesus' death on the cross doesn't make sense unless you are truly seeking God. You, you have to be Humble and seeking God, and then the Holy Spirit turns the lights on for you. Accepting Jesus' death on the cross doesn't make sense unless you are truly seeking God. It was a stumbling block to the Jews because they were focused on power and signs. It was folly to the Gentiles or That's another name for Greeks in the the New Testament because they were focused on success and influence. When you accept Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your sins, you must humble yourself and admit that you cannot save yourself through your own power or works. There is... The Roman road that can lead you to salvation. The roads throughout the Roman Empire allowed the good news uh, to travel throughout the Roman Empire. This was a unique time in history when God sovereignly arranged for these roads to exist and which allowed for spreading the gospel throughout the earth. The book of Romans has a road to salvation in it. It's kind of a play uh, on words there. But Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's humbling to admit that you're a sinner. But the Bible says, all have sinned. So the first step toward accepting Christ into your life is to admit that you're a sinner. The truth of Romans 5.8 makes God's love very clear. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is ultimate grace. He died for us even though we were still in sin. We couldn't save ourselves. We were dead in, in sin and transgressions. And he made us alive. The next stop on the Roman road to salvation is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord god offers every one eternal life through jesus christ our our lord it, but you have to receive it you have to accept him as savior and lord here's how you obtain the gift of salvation you find this in Romans 10:9 and 10 Because if you confess with your lips with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved if you make Jesus your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience the eternal life that Jesus offers. Not only in, in heaven, but in the here and now, you will experience an eternal quality of life that he gives. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you to commit your life to Christ, Don't waste another day trying to figure it out on your own. Accept Jesus as your Savior and commit to follow him as your Lord today. As I wrap up this message, I want to give you a preview of the usual suspects series. Today, I'm talking about Christ Sets Us Free. This I'm going to be speaking about this on Easter Sunday. From He sets us free from sin and self-defeating strategies. And I want to introduce you to five fools that we're going to meet in this series. And we're going to get acquainted with them over the next few weeks. The first fool is... That we'll meet is lazy Larry. Ease is the most important thing to him. So this fool, their strategy is to finding, is finding the key, the magic key that's going to unlock the easy life, the easy way. Next, the next week, we're going to talk about controlling Connie. This fool uses Anger, upset, manipulation to cro- control others through their emotions. At least she's, she, this fool's trying, uh, to do that. Drop the ball, Doug, is the next fool we'll meet. This fool ignores consequences and gives in to their desires. Completely. Life dominating problems accompany this life strategy. You've learned that you cannot count on drop the ball dug in any way. The first three come out of the Aveleth folly, which is the S for selfish in the sad paradigm. Next, we're going to look at Spotlight Susie on 5, May 7th. This fool always wants to be the center of attention right now. They push ahead and step on people along the way. They're pictured as a bull in the Psalms because they're always pushing each other out of the way. It's a devastating way to live. This fool majors on Halela Folly, which is the A for Arrogant. Mother's Day, we're going to talk about the profile of a wise woman. And then the next week, May 21st, we're going to talk about Nefarious Ned, who is the most dangerous fool and we need to know about them the bible is very clear about what we need to avoid because we need to know how to relate to this kind of fool this fool flows obviously out of raw the damaging fool or the damaging folly and then The final week of the series, we're going to talk about replacing folly with wisdom. We're going to show how following Christ is the path to wisdom. I want to stop and give you some time to think through some next steps, how to apply the message like I always do. I have some suggestions for you, um, but you may have some others that come to mind i always do this because jesus if you want to get to know jesus better you need to obey him obeying him john and john 14:21 says jesus is talking it says whoever has my commandments and obeys them He it is who knows me and he who knows me will be know my father and I too will know him and show myself to him. So as you step out to obey the Lord, then that's when you gain insight into what he's like. And so here are my suggestions for next steps for the first time. Accept Christ as your Savior and follow him as Lord. If you want to talk to someone about what it means to follow Christ, check meet with someone to clarify your commitment to Christ. Another uh, step is identify the root of folly that you need to deal with right now and ask God for help. Selfishness, arrogance, or damage. And then another step would be come back for the rest of the Fool series. I think you'll find it very helpful uh, and insightful. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the work that you've done on the cross that sets us free from sin and folly and the power of the resurrection that proves that you have the power to set us free thank you for what you've done I pray that you'd help us to take the steps you've laid on our heart today and I pray that you'd give us the strength to take those steps in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I pray amen